What's up, parents? Welcome to the Elevate podcast. It's been a while, so it's good to be with you. Super excited today uh, as we have a special guest with us. His name is the Dr. Seth Rainwater. You know him maybe from the band at church. Sometimes he plays the bass and sometimes he plays the electric guitar. He's the guy with the beard who looks like he uh, he wants to kill you maybe or maybe just looks a little grumpy when he's playing. I like to tease him about that. Uh, but he's a psychologist at Life Care downtown and super excited to have him with us. Um, we're going to be talking about emotions today. Emotions. So um, maybe you felt as a parent of a teenager like your kid is one walking ball of crazy and changing emotions. Um, one day they love you and they love the family and another day all they want to do is sleep and another day they walk in the door and they're happy and another day they walk in the door and they're not. And, and it can, uh, I think it can be a challenge sometimes to navigate some of the emotions that come not just with teenagers, but with kids and people. And so we have Seth with us today. We're going to do a couple podcasts. This first one um, I'm hoping will help us think uh, more accurately about emotions. So Seth, thanks for being here. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Uh, before we get started, there's a few pieces of red tape that I have to go over. I just want to be clear with everyone today that what we're talking about is some good general mental health principles. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that listening to these podcasts is going to replace getting psychological treatment or be sufficient to replace going to a therapist or anything like that. Um, and if the people listening are struggling with mental health problems or maybe their, their teens are struggling with that. Um, I would really encourage them to reach out and get connected with a therapist in town. Um, there's lots of good practices in town besides life care. And I could certainly maybe give you some information if parents ask, give you some options that you could pass on to them. Cool. Great. Um, so emotions. Uh, what can you tell us about emotions that will help us maybe think a little bit more accurately about them? Well, there's three um, kind of general principles about emotions that I think are really, really important for people to know. Um, probably the first thing is that emotions or feelings are in and of themselves neutral experiences. What I mean by that is there's not any moral um, imperatives stuck to emotions. Like feeling happy isn't morally better than feeling sad. Now, of course, it's definitely more pleasurable to feel happy. It's more fun to feel happy. We like it more. Some people would say that it's good to feel happy and it's bad to feel sad in the sense that, you know, it's it's more fun um but at their core all emotions are equal in regards to their their moral value and this is important because it leads us to the understanding that emotions are tools they're uh they have a job to do each emotion helps us by giving us information about the world and if we label some emotions as morally wrong, we're going to miss out on some really important information 
that that emotion is trying to give us. Or if we label some emotions as more, more morally right or something like that, we may get trapped in loops chasing emotions that we really can't produce at will. Um, so that I think is probably the really first important principle in regarding in regards to emotions is that understanding that they're compared to each other, they're morally neutral and that they have jobs to do um, because of that neutrality. Cool. All right. So there are no good or bad emotions and emotions have jobs. Right. Um, so I think you have one more thing you wanted to talk about emotions. Sure. And then I want to push back a little bit on one of those because um, something you said, I'm just, I want to push back on a little bit. Sure. So the other two principles that I think are really important to understand in regards to emotions is emotions do not last forever. Um, I know it can in the moment feel that way. And sometimes maybe we wish that uh, certain emotions would last forever. I mean, feeling excited or happy forever would, would probably be an idea we'd at least consider, but <laughs> biologically we cannot sustain any emotion forever. Um, literally the, the activity that's going on in our brain that produces the emotion has, for lack of a better word, kind of a finite amount of material. And then once we burn through that material, the emotion ends. Um, now it can take a little time for that material to recharge, you know, the, the neurochemicals uh, to recharge, and then we get to experience the emotion over, but no feeling lasts forever. And if we look to our own life experiences, we know this to be true. Um, even when we felt the happiest or most excited we've ever felt, by the end of that day, it probably was a little bit more mild than the start of the day. And then a week out and then, you know, a month out. And the same with feeling uh, grief or sadness. And the other thing that I think is really important for people to know about emotions, or the last thing rather, and we'll talk more about this in the other podcasts, so I won't go into much information about it right now, is feelings are not facts. <laughs> and it's feelings don't prove anything. Um, just because I feel bad doesn't mean I am bad or that I did something bad. In fact, lots of times in life, we have to do things that are right or healthy or good, and we end up feeling bad. Um, and so it's important to separate facts from feelings, but not to replace feelings with facts and kind of become like robots, but just to recognize that emotions are feedback. They're feedback. They're not facts. Cool. All right. So when it comes to emotions, there's no good or bad emotions. Emotions have jobs, they don't last forever, and feelings are not facts. Uh, I want to push back on that first one. You said there are no good or bad emotions, um, but in the Bible, there are tons of m imperatives to in regard to emotions. Don't worry. I think the most uh, frequently stated command in the Bible is don't be afraid. Um, there are other emotions that seem like they could be bad. Hate. Um, so let's just kind of start with this worry, hate, fear. Um, you're saying there are no good or bad emotions. The Bible says, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, I think that the point of those scriptures is, is not so much to say, never, ever, ever have these emotional experiences. 
because uh, one, all of those emotions you just listed are things that God created in us to feel fear, anger, even hate are, are important signals that God built into our body. And, you know, if, if I'm at home and I hear somebody rattling my front door, fear is a good emotion. If um, somebody is, you know, m- messing with my little brother, you know, being a bully to him, anger is a good emotion. It's going to help my, well, good in the sense that it's going to activate me to, to do something about it. Um, if I feel, uh, if I see somebody being racist, you know, not hating the person, but hating the racist act, you know, is a healthy response. It's activating me to do something about evil or violations that are occurring in my world. I think these scriptures are basically saying, don't let your life be ruled by fear or anxiety or hatred. Don't let them be the the North Star that you you guide yourself with. Just like we were saying a minute ago, emotions are feedback. Yeah. Right. So I think it's really what the scriptures are saying is pay attention to fear, anger, hatred, but don't let them dominate and rule your life. Yeah. I I think it's also interesting that when we think about God's word to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Courage is by definition acting, not in the absence of fear, but acting in spite of my Mm -hmm. fear. So there is no courage if there isn't also fear, right? There's just action. And so to, to be courageous necessitates there being some, some fear. So I, I I think it's good. Don't, don't be ruled by worry. Don't, don't be ruled by fear. Um, I think it's good to also look to Jesus. We do have examples in scripture where Jesus experienced some pretty tough emotions. Now you, we can, we can't necessarily say it was definitely this emotion necessarily because it doesn't say Jesus felt this emotion, but we know there was times when Jesus cried. Uh, there definitely seems like there was times in the Bible where Jesus got at least frustrated, at least angry enough to make some whips and <laughs> chase people around <laughs> or call out Pharisees in the street, yeah. you know, um, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane, I believe it says he was overwhelmed to the point of death. Uh, I would maybe argue that him asking for the cup to be passed, uh, is an evidence of at least some apprehension about what's <laughs> to come. Um, but what the difference is, is he never allowed himself to be ruled by those emotions. That's and, good. And that's the price like example we're called to. Okay. So this is good. Uh, emotions, no good or bad. They have jobs. They don't last forever. And feelings are not facts. Um, and, but they are connected. Feelings are connected very much to thoughts. Yes. And so you, you talked about a special, in, in the youth group, you talked about a special kind of crappy kind of thought. Yeah. <laughs> tell us, tell us about that. So the special, uh, crappy thought I was talking about in the world of psychology is something we call an automatic thought. And Wait, psychologists don't call it a special we don't call it, kind of thought. We don't call it that. Uh, well, I mean, I do in my meetings <laughs> with people, but in the literature, it's called an automatic thought. And automatic thoughts are characterized by three elements. They're short, they're negative, and they're absolute. And we'll talk again later kind of about why we engage in automatic thinking. Um, but 
it's important to understand that it's our kind of briefly, it's our brain's attempt to try and make sense of a complicated world as quickly as possible. And we as humans are more convinced by negative information than we are by positive information. You know, if somebody shows up to you and gives you bad news, if you know, you're probably more willing to accept it and go, yeah, well, that's probably true. Or, oh, that makes sense. Whereas if somebody shows up and says, Hey, I got great news. One of our first reactions is always, are you joking? Yeah. Are you being serious? Right. Our brain is more easily convinced by negative news. And because of that, when we're faced with confusing or complicated situations in life, our brain tries to make sense of it. And it tries to do that in the quickest way possible. And in doing that, it spits out negative, short negative thoughts, kind of like these quick uh, sound bites. So how am I going to do on this test today? You're going to fail, right? Um, short, was that four or five words? Negative, you're going to fail. And absolute, you are going to fail. And it's also the absoluteness that makes automatic thoughts really convincing. And so as we experience hard emotions in life, our brain kind of wants to make sense as to why we're having those emotions. And that motivates it, for lack of a better word, that motivates our brain to engage in this automatic thinking, to put that hard, difficult emotion into context, right? I feel anxious about the test. Why do I feel anxious about the test? Because I'm going to fail the test, right? Or I feel sad tonight. Why do I feel sad? Because nobody likes you. Right. So, so just to make up make sure my understanding, there's an emotion, and then there's an attempt in our brain to explain the emotion, and the automatic thought is the short negative. Um, uh, what is the absolute word? absolute short negative absolute that explains the emotion, but the brain's being a bad detective and is explaining the emotion in a way that's probably not right or accurate. Yeah, it's. Um, it's definitely taking some really unhealthy shortcuts in, in coming to that conclusion. Um, explaining it, trying to give it context. The automatic thought is just trying to, I often say, solve the mystery as to why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. Um, it uses, uh, again, what we would call in psychology, cognitive errors. But in explaining it to people, I explain it more along the lines of a, a bad detective like you just mentioned. So, um, you know, a detective's job is to solve a crime, solve a mystery. And a bad detective is going to show up to the crime scene, kind of maybe take a quick look around and go, well, I feel like this is what happened. Uh, I feel like, uh, you know, if, if I showed up at your house and your car had been stolen, I was a bad detective and I'd go, well, you know, I feel like Sweet D did it. <laughs> well, you would maybe ask me, well, what evidence do you have to support that? I'd say, ah, I, just, I just feel like it. It just, it makes sense. It explains my feelings. So why, what happened to your car? Sweetie took it. Mystery solved, right? But the problem is I didn't solve the mystery accurately. And while our brain is awesome, it's not super good at being accurate if it's, if it's not put into check. And there's some good scriptural underpinnings for this that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But the uh our brain is just trying to do things quickly right because there's a we got a lot to do and we can't really sit down and process every piece of information that comes through our mind a good detective would sit down get information 
interview people, look at evidence, dust for fingerprints, get a lot of facts together, and then say, based on the facts, this is what I think happened. And those facts may line up with my gut feeling. I think Sweet D did it, and the facts point to Sweet D. Or I might have a gut feeling of, oh, I think Sweet D stole your car, but then my facts point me to, you know, it was actually Izzy Markle, right? Who stole <laughs> your car or something like that. Um, and so our brain is trying, it's really trying to help. And I sometimes use this example of saying, it's like your house is on fire and you called me for help. And I showed up with a bulldozer and pushed your house over. And in doing so, I put out the fire, but like I also destroyed your house, right? <laughs> it's, I'm trying to help. I'm just doing it in a really inefficient and ineffective way. And this leads to these automatic thoughts. I have a feeling. I don't know why I'm having this feeling. My brain quickly tries to put some explanation to that feeling. And it does that by basically ignoring the evidence and jumping to the quickest and most negative uh, conclusion it can think of, which, believe it or not, satisfies us, right? How am I going to do on the test? I'm going to fail. Mm -hmm. Mystery solved. But the problem is believing I'm going to fail on the test increases the chances that I act in a way that actually lead me to failing the test. So for right. example, if I say I'm going to fail the test, I'm probably not going to double check my answers. I'm probably not going to read each question carefully. I mean, I even flip to the backside of the test to see if there's more questions. I'm going to kind of just push through it and uh, that increases the chances that I fail or why, you know, why am I lonely? Because nobody likes you. If I believe nobody likes me, it's going to make me a lot more likely to withdraw from people, stay away from people, which makes it a lot harder for people to get to know me and like me, which thereby goes to prove, quote unquote, prove my automatic thought of nobody likes me. And this gets us caught in what we call the downward spiral. My feelings lead to automatic thoughts, lead to unhealthy behaviors, which lead to outcomes, which produce more feelings, which produce more automatic thoughts which leads to behaviors, which produces outcomes ad nauseum. So, yeah. And I think maybe another word to attach to automatic thoughts is they're subtle um, in the sense that if you ask most people, like, why are you feeling that way? I don't know. I just am. Yeah. And, um, but there are subtle sort of internal um, conclusions that probably automatic thoughts we don't want to admit. We don't want to say somebody, oh, I'm feeling this way because I think I'm a loser. Um, but they're still there. And so just to kind of flesh this out, I want to end this podcast uh, by talking about some common automatic thoughts. And then next session, next podcast, we're going to talk about, okay, what do we do with this? Right. All right. So um, I'm going to say some automatic thoughts and Seth, maybe you can kind of categorize them. Um, maybe what, uh, what you might call this or label this automatic thought. So um, no one likes me. No one likes me would be a good example of doing what we call mind reading, where you are believing that you know what other people are thinking or feeling. And it also has a little bit of what we would call an overgeneralization in it. No one likes me. And it's like, well, does your grandma like you? Yeah, probably. So actually, there's there's four-ish. Um, yeah. So run through those real fast, and then I'll run through these, and just we're just going to okay. them out. So I would say there's kind of top four cognitive errors or top four bad detective mistakes that people make one being overgeneralization which is thinking in ways that include always never you know no one everyone overgeneralizing things two is labeling 
This is where we label ourselves. I am this, I am that. Mind reading would be the third most uh, common one, maybe not in that order, but uh, where again, we believe we know what other people are thinking or feeling. And then uh, worst case scenario or catastrophizing, basically predicting the uh, most negative outcome possible. Okay, cool. So I'm going to read some automatic thoughts. Okay. I just kind of spit out what you think. Um, yeah. I know there's going to be overlap, but just whatever comes to mind. All right. So we already said no one likes me. That was mind reading. And yeah. And a little, a little sprinkle of overgeneralization <laughs> in there. I never get invited to anything. I'm a loser. So we got some labeling in there. I'm a loser. Um, I never get invited to anything. Would uh, Could maybe be kind of some worst case scenario thinking, but again, falls probably more in that overgeneralizing. I'm stupid. Definitely a label. No one knows how I feel. Uh, that one would be overgeneralizing. I'm ugly. Labeling again. My friends don't care about me. A little bit of mind reading, believing that we know what uh, other people... Actually, I would say that one's pretty much all mind reading, believing that we know how other people feel. I'm not good at anything. Um, an overgeneralization. We didn't talk about this one, but a little bit of the discounting of the positive in there, right? Overlooking things that you are good at. I'm never good enough for my parents or for my youth pastor or for my coach or for my teacher. So again, a lot of that... Um, Overgeneralizing, and I, like that's why I said that's the number one most common one that we 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 use. Um, I'm not good enough could also be kind of a label, right? So I'm saying I'm never able to accomplish things, and I'm not good enough. So kind of overgeneralizing and labeling again. If God loved me, He wouldn't have let this happen. Uh, I would call that a um, if God loved me. So a little bit of some mind reading in there. If God loved me, right, believing that I know God doesn't love me and kind of some, I don't know, I guess I would say jumping to some conclusion there, right? Like we know why a person is doing what they're doing. Again, mm -hmm. jumping to conclusion isn't one that we talked about specifically. And I do want to just say right quick, I think that's a good example of how automatic thinking can be applied not only to ourselves and others, but to God yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, God doesn't love me the way I am. Yeah. Uh, again, mind reading. Um, and even though it's not the, if we were to flesh that sentence out, God doesn't love me the way I am. I am stupid. I am mm. a sinner. I am whatever. So some yeah. labeling in there too. Uh, everyone at church is a hypocrite. They're all fake. Um. So that would be kind of labeling actually in the other direction, right? We didn't talk about that earlier, but you can label in the other direction. You are stupid. Overgeneralizing everyone at the church is uh, fake, right? Everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we want to flesh this out more. Um, we all have automatic thoughts. And what do we do with that? That's going to be next podcast. See you then.